Hello, I wanted to leave a message about your podcast that I found on your website, ethicistschool.org, and I wanted to say thank you. Since finding those, the timing of it has just been a godsend. It's been incredible. The information that you've put out there and what you talk about has been extremely relevant, logical, makes sense. Also provides another perspective on how to look at things as I read through and study the Bible myself. It has helped me immensely with my own faith, family, and dealing with others. So I wanted to leave a message say thank you very much for the work that you're doing and what you've put out there. I look forward to the podcast they publish every week. Thank you. Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In this week's episode, Richard and I interview Dr. Greg Paulson, a biblical scholar and text critic who was recently invited to work on the 29th edition of Nestle Alon, the standard edition of the Greek New Testament used by scholars, Bible translators, professors, students, and pastors worldwide. In addition to discussing his upcoming project, Dr. Paulson talks about the field of text criticism and his own dissertation on the Gospel of Matthew. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Lewis. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 21 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Very happy to be here today. (laughs) Today, we're we're very happy to be here to have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Greg Paulson. Dr. Paulson is a parishioner at St. Elizabeth Mission, has been very much a part of the early days of the Ephesus School Project as a participant, someone with a background in biblical scholarship, specifically in text criticism. Now, if I understand text criticism correctly, you have manuscripts. What has has been written. Manu meaning hand. What hands have written. So we have all these different versions of the New Testament. What's the problem then that text critics need to deal with? So since these were all copied by hand, there was no printing press. There's lots of differences in these manuscripts, whether intentionally or unintentionally. If you've ever tried to transcribe something, not translate, but actually transcribe word for word something, uh, you'll inevitably make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll skip a letter, maybe skip a word, skip a line, or even add a line, just unintentionally. And so there's over 5,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts, and in these, there's many differences. Some are just spelling, some have words, others don't, some don't have words, some actually have intentional stories that others don't have. And so text critics intend to determine what was the original. For example, the Gospel of Mark. We don't have the original of the Gospel of Mark or any other New Testament documents. And so what we have are copies of copies of copies of copies. And these are all different in some way. And so text critic intends to determine which of these manuscripts we have is most likely original. Oh, okay. So the problem is we want to have the original and we don't have the original. That's right. So what do we do to fill in that gap? And is it the text critic then that fills in that gap that tries to get us from the manuscripts that we actually have 
somehow to get us back to that original manuscript that we don't have. That's right. So we take pieces of all these manuscripts and try to make what we think is the original text or at least the earliest attainable text. So for those of you listening to this program, if you've ever wondered what is a scribe as opposed to a Pharisee, which is the priest, <laughs> Greg would be the scribe. I would be the Pharisee at St. Elizabeth, and Greg is the scribe who is very concerned about the iota of the, of the Torah, as Matthew says in his gospel. So my question would be, as a scribe, as a text critic, when an iota is present in manuscript A, but not in manuscript B, how do you go about working that puzzle? What do you do? So there are traditional criteria that guide text critics. One would be to, we assume that when a scribe would copy something, he would not want to leave anything out. He would not want to happen to leave out a story that Jesus did, so he'd make sure to copy it. He might even add in something. If there's a note on the side that maybe comments on the story, he would be sure to add in that note just to make sure that he didn't leave anything out of his Lord and Savior's life. Mm -hmm. And so if you have two different readings, two different variants in a manuscript, you would want to go with the shorter one because that would be most likely be original because you assume the scribe would add more things not take away ah uh, okay so scribe, okay so you assume that you guys are kind of like psychologists you know, like, <laughs> you're trying to get That's inside right. these the brains and just say okay people tend to add on rather than leave things out. Are there other criteria that you look at that might help you decide? You want to find the reading that can explain the other readings. Uh, so you can kind of work backwards. If you see that you have three different variants in a manuscript, A, B, C, you can see that C could have come from one of them, B could have come from one of them. If it's the same one, that one is probably the original. And since the goal is to find the original, you go with that one. So you pick out that reading as your established okay. text. If I can just kind of give an oversimplified example. A thousand years from now, we have two texts of the Pledge of Allegiance, and one has under God in it, and the other one doesn't have under God. The text critic would say, the one that doesn't have under God would be the original because somebody added something to it if they had to decide. If you're going by those principles, okay. live the and, longer. And, it's, and it, just ha it just so happens it's that we know that that happens. So yeah. that, <laughs> that, of course, makes the text critic happy. Okay. <laughs> and then the other one is that generally scribes try to make things clearer and not right. things more confusing. Yep. So if you have two texts and one of them kind of doesn't make sense and the other one makes a lot of sense, you assume you didn't have a scribe who scrambled things, but you had one who was trying to make sense of the earlier one. So the more confusing text is actually earlier. That's right. Scribes would sit in very dark conditions and very uncomfortable seats and transcribe manuscripts all day long. And so you could see towards the end of the day, scribes would get tired and maybe make some mistakes. And so, you know, to err is human. And so all of these differences in the manuscripts intentional and unintentional, give text critics a job. Go back and determine, is this uh, intentional or is this unintentional? Is this part of the original? We think it's original, is it copied or just in, made up right there? Oh, that's true because sometimes a scribe can make something more confusing. If they have two words that start with the same letter and you skip three words in between, all of a sudden you've got scrambled manuscript where the clearer one was earlier mm -hmm. in that case. So you have to determine, can you explain the mistake? Which is easier to explain, the mistake or the addition. And it gets more complicated in German monasteries because they have excellent beer. <laughs> and so true. it's late at night. And uh, I'm told that German monks would drink a very, very uh, heavy, dark beer during Lent. That's how they'd be sustained. So you could probably look at the manuscripts and the handwriting to see when Lent began 
and one went down. <laughs> I, that's just a theory. Let's a, leave it there. <laughs> as, opposed to the, as opposed to the Greek monks that were drinking very strong coffee while they were trying to write their manuscripts. <laughs> right. Uh, or ouzo and uh, licorice candies or something. <laughs> so it's this fascinating. It's very important work, interesting work. I, I know you'll be going to Germany to work on the next edition of Nestle Alon, but before we talk about that, I'd love to hear about your dissertation. So for my dissertation at the University of Edinburgh, I looked at five different manuscripts, right? There's over 5,000 manuscripts in the Greek New Testament. I chose just five to focus on. They have names, Codex Sinaiticus, which is housed in Sinai. And the Greek Orthodox that's Monastery right. in St. Egypt. St. Catherine's. Saint Catherine's. Yeah. And there's Codex Vaticanus, which is in the Vatican Library. There's Codex Ephremi Siri Rescriptus. It is a palimpsest, which means the biblical text was erased, and then sermons of St. Ephraim, Syrian uh, were written over top of that. Hmm. Throughout history, if texts were short, they would just erase. You can't just throw them out. You would erase them. They're very valuable. So they would erase them and then write things over it. So I also looked at Codex Beze. One side of the page is Greek, and then the other side of the page is Latin. So it's a bilingual manuscript. And then there's Codex Washingtonius, which is in Washington in the U.S. So for my dissertation, I looked at these manuscripts just in the Gospel of Matthew. I just focused on one book of the Bible. These manuscripts have several books of the Bible, if not the complete Bible. And so I looked to see where these manuscripts were different than every other manuscript we know. And so I compared these manuscripts in a scholar's work. His name is Tischendorf, and he has a very extensive Greek New Testament, and he lists very many differences in the manuscripts. And so you can see at a glance readings of hundreds of manuscripts. And so I would see if the manuscript I was looking at had any of these readings. If not, if it was singular and that it didn't have any of these readings, it was called a singular reading. And so I took this out and I did this throughout all 1,071 or so verses of Matthew. Went through word by word of all these five manuscripts. Let's say in Matthew 1, 1, someone adds the word Christ after Jesus in Codex Sinaiticus. If there's no other manuscript that adds the word Christ after Jesus in the same spot in any other manuscript, then it's a singular reading in Codex Sinaiticus. And so what I did was take all of these singular readings and then try to see if there's any patterns in these individual manuscripts. So what were you trying to find out? I was trying to find out scribal behavior, what they did. I was, in a sense, testing the traditional criteria that text critics use to determine what is the original text. And so what I found, even though traditional criteria has been to favor the shorter reading, because scribes would rather add something to the words of Christ rather than take something away, I actually found that scribes would often omit words. Sometimes there would be a line ending with a word and the next line ending with that same word, and they would skip from line to line. So a lot of these things are just unintentional. But in most of the manuscripts I looked at, three of them, actually ended with a shorter text. They would skip more words than they would add. But scribal behavior is quite complicated, and actually two of these manuscripts did add more than they omitted. I see. So we have these rules that scribes tend to do this or tend to do that, and you said, okay, let's isolate the places where we know the scribe was making up stuff. That's right. Where the scribe was going off on their own mm-hmm. t- on their own direction. Yeah. Okay, we can isolate these. We'll take the most popular manuscripts. We'll find the places where this guy diverged from everybody else. Okay, so then if we look at every single place that scribes diverge, do they actually diverge in the way that traditionally text critics assume they diverge? So you're actually testing the assumptions that most text critics have. That's right. The assumption of singular readings is that a scribe created it. Right? If it occurs nowhere else in the manuscript, tradition and it only occurs in that one manuscript, you know, chances are that scribe created it himself. 
So you take all of these out, you might have an idea of what the scribe's tendencies were. I, I think that's really helpful because looking at, like I mentioned before, if the text critic is a psychologist, we don't want to just try to get inside the brain and imagine what people are thinking about. We want to find what data we can that reflect a certain kind of behavior and then say, okay, if we actually look at the behavior, what do we see is the psychology that would produce that behavior? But we can't just assume a certain psychology without looking systematically at the data that reflect a certain kind of behavior. So you're going to Germany soon. We're very sad at St. Elizabeth uh, that you and your wife, Katie, who is a theologian who studied post-Holocaust ecclesiology and theology. Both you and Katie are moving to Germany. You're leaving on the 15th. Tell us about what you'll be doing. It's very exciting. Nestle Alon is a very important, critical edition of the Bible. So what will you be doing on the next edition? So I'll be moving to Münster, Germany, where the INTF is. It's the Institute for New Testament Textual Research. And they're working on the next edition of the Nestle Alon. One of the goals of the INTF is to produce transcripts descriptions of all of the New Testament Greek manuscripts. And so they are putting online images of all these manuscripts and transcriptions of these. Not a translation, but a transcription. A transcription is if someone hands you a letter that's written in cursive, if you were to go on the computer and type it out letter for letter, that's the transcription. Mm -hmm. So they're having people transcribe, having at least two people transcribe each of the 5,000 plus Greek New Testament manuscripts. And so they're using that data to produce the next edition of the Nestle Alonde. So we're going to have access to these manuscripts like never before. For anyone who has done biblical studies, either at a seminary or at a university, over the past 50 years? Over the past 50 years, even longer, I think, since the 40s or yeah. the 30s? the actual, just Nestle Greek New Testament has been around for over a century. For over a century. Wow. So anyone who's been doing it, the Nestle Alonde is the culmination of New Testament text criticism. Every New Testament critic who looks at manuscripts contributes their educated opinion about what the original text was. It takes all the different manuscripts and all the different text critics' reading of those texts and brings it together into one single Greek version of the New Testament. So for anyone out there who's not been in biblical studies, you need to know that for the person who is researching the Bible or is translating the Bible, the Nestle Aland is the Bible. That is the Bible. Over a hundred years of scholarship has determined that this is our best guess at what the original text of the New Testament was. What's wonderful about this next project where you talk about this new phase is that everyone will have access to every manuscript behind all those decisions because before they are in dusty shelves of the Vatican, now they're going to be online for anyone to access. And not only that, there is going to be a digital photo of the actual manuscripts you can see. So if Dr. Paulson says, well, I think this is a new and I can say, no, I think it's an Ita. We can have an argument because those letters look very similar in Greek. So the text critic says, no, I think it's a new. And I can say, no, I think it's an Ita. And we can have the argument back and forth, what we think is the original reading. Now, since you're on the project and I'm not, your transcription makes it into the canonical reading of that manuscript, and I don't get a say, but because this project is online, I can also contact the scholars and have a discussion. So we have an even richer discussion of what the New Testament is. And so 
What's even more interesting is that because we're at edition 29? Yeah, 29 will be the next one. 29 will be the next edition, which is, for those of you who think of the Bible having fallen from heaven, of all the scholarly work, there's still been 29 editions of what we believe the original Bible is. So the original idea of what the original Bible is has evolved, also because of our knowledge and because of the science of text criticism. Sure to be more scholarship done with the proliferation of the original texts, sure to be more analysis done, and I'm sure that the period between 29th edition and the 30th edition will be shorter, very likely. So while the rest of us are posting on Facebook and browsing YouTube videos, <laughs> Dr. Paulson will be looking at biblical manuscripts and part of a team that's posting manuscripts online. Well, then I think it's more important for everyone to know Greek because then instead of posting on Facebook, you can now, mm-hmm. thanks to this work, you'll now be able to do text criticism work from your air-conditioned armchair at home. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to post some of the work of this project on the Bible as Literature's Facebook page just to try to do a little bit of CYA and try to dignify Facebook activities in the light of what Dr. Paulson will be doing with his abilities and his efforts. So really very thankful to have this opportunity to speak with you. Yes, thank you very much. We are sad to see you and Katie move on, but at the same time, we feel a great deal of pride. And, you know, our community will always share in the work that you're doing and always give thanks to God for the work that you're doing in service of the cause of the Gospels. We're very excited to to see the outcome of the project in the next few years and and hope that we have a chance to be with you again in Minnesota soon. Or in Germany, whichever comes first. And we pray that there'll be a lot of fruit from the work that you're doing. This is a big sacrifice for your family to go there. So, you know, I want people to understand the sacrifice that scholars go through. They do not get paid very much. They do it out of love and they do it for the sake of the gospel. And so understand that this is work that's being done directly so that everyone who wants to understand the gospel can have the gospel in front of them in a clear way that reflects what we believe was the ancient text. And this is the most important thing in New Testament is to have a Greek New Testament that reflects what we think was the original. And so at the expense of, you know, being close to friends and family and moving to another continent, you know, I I pray that God will grant much fruit to the work of this and for the sacrifice of your family. Thank you. It's been an honor being here at St. Elizabeth. You know, we've been blessed by everything God is doing through you for us at St. Elizabeth. Made many sacrifices for us, and my work will be a result of your sacrifices. So thank you very much for everything you've done. Thanks be to God. Thank Thank you. Good luck to you. God bless you. Thank you. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.